What is up, everybody? Happy, if you're listening to this when it airs, happy Wednesday to you. Um, Just Travis coming at you solo because I've got a lot of, we'll say, quote unquote, serious things to talk about. I don't know. Did I just shift into an accent right there? I feel like maybe I did. um, And I'm terrible at accents. But um, we got some some like conservation stuff we're going to talk about uh, coming up. We're going to talk about uh, Saul Strong's apology. We're going to talk about the commission meeting. We're going to talk about SB 2508. And we're going to talk about Lake Apopka. So um, I'm going to hit you with all those and Nate and him were like, uh, have fun with that. So um, not sure how fun it'll be, but a lot of good information we need to get out there. And this is the most effective way to do that. But before we get into that, I need to tell you about some of our sponsors. First up, I'm going to tell you about Fletcher Hallett, Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812. If you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, you know that Fletcher has been with us forever and is just the best dude on the planet. Um, he shows up for conservation every day. He shows up for sportsmen every day. I guarantee you right now he's planning a youth turkey hunt. Um, he does that every year with 10 can. He just He's one of us, and he's an insurance agent. Guides insurance, that's something we don't talk about a lot that he does. He does he does all of our policies for our, our outfitting services. Um, boat insurance, home insurance, commercial business insurance. I know we got a lot of small business guys listening to this, or maybe even some big business guys. If you're in Florida, reach out to Fletcher Hallett, Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812, fhallett at hallettins.com. Double the L's, double the T's, Hallett for all your insurance needs. The other ad I'm going to drop in right here, and that is with our partners at National Wildlife Federation. I dropped it in last week, and you can go check out their podcast. We're doing an ad swap. Um, Ours won't be on this week because I don't have anybody to record it with. But uh, beginning next week, you'll hear our ad on their side too. But here's an ad from our, our friends at National Wildlife Federation. Howdy, Cast and Blast Florida listeners. This is Aaron Kendall, host of the NWF Outdoors podcast. And this is Bill Cooksey, co-host. The NWF Outdoors podcast covers hunting and angling conservation issues from across the country with exciting guests covering hunting and fishing stories, conservation policy, and all the issues a sporting conservationist needs to stay informed and entertained. We even had the one and only Travis Thompson as part of our climate series, Vanishing Seasons. For more awesome sporting conservation conversations, check out the NWF Outdoors podcast at nwfoutdoors.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get to this. What I I was going to do this kind of weird. I was going to say, okay, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes per topic, but that'd be 40 minutes and I don't want to listen to myself for 40 minutes. And I don't know if I can talk about these for 40 minutes, but I'm going to give you... um, in classic kind of cast and blast Travis fashion, some quick hit thoughts just on some things rummaging around out there. The first two, I'm going to salt, start with the salt strong apology. Um, if you're from, everybody should be familiar with salt strong, the brand they're from our hometown. They're from winter Haven, We're a really popular brand. What I love most about salt strong is they're just really nice guys. Um, Joe and Luke Simons are the guys that run it. And Nate's sister, Kaylee, actually works there. She works in like their warehouse or customer service or something like that. But um, so we have no inside information on this or anything else. I'm just kind of giving you my opinion on a thing I saw unfold this week. And it's it's pretty interesting. Um, And that is, uh, I guess, about a week ago, they released a class. What they do are their insider fishing club and they do classes on how to fish. Um, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a great program. Education is key. And I, from what I've seen, I'm not an insider member, but from what I've seen of their content, they do a good job in promoting doing things the right way. 
So they did one on Mosquito Lagoon and there was a huge backlash from people in the lagoon saying, why on earth would you encourage people to fish here? I'm paraphrasing. I don't really know what the backlash was because I don't have insight to their, their emails or correspondence or anything, but there was a lot of pushback on it. And basically it was, why would you encourage people to come fish here? You know, the, the lagoon has suffered for so long. Um, it's obviously got water quality issues. The fishery's not what it used to be. Why are we encouraging people to fish here? Is kind of what I think the gist of the pushback was. So Joe Simons, to his credit, goes and posts a video apologizing. They take the course. I don't know if they took the course down or they took the ad down or whatever they did. But this is this is what I'm just gonna say, okay? And this is just Travis talking here. Man, I kind of hate that they did that. And and the reason I hate that they did that is not because of their character, because they did what they thought was right. And um, I, I, I don't know anyone that'll say a bad thing about, like I said, the Salt Strong guys. But those guides over there that were pushing back on this, um, man, like, isn't that, isn't Salt Strong kind of doing the same thing we do as guides? Like if someone came along, came along tomorrow and started doing an online how to duck hunt in Florida course and, and basically teaching you how to go about duck hunting and uh, teaching you how to hunt different water bodies. And isn't that kind of the same thing some of us do as guides? I mean, I've done that for people before and, and made money off of it. Why should this online purveyor, he's got a different mechanism for doing it. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but I just, I struggle with the, um, we're drawing a line in the sand. It's okay for guides to take you out there and make their $650 for a half day, but it's not okay for salt strong to make, you know, $80 for you to take a course. Man, I don't know. I, I understand why they apologized. I'm not, like I said, I'm not knocking salt strong at all there. I just am kind of shocked by a little bit of what I would term the hypocrisy in the community as far as the guides go, because it's, they, they kind of do the same thing. Um, I really want better fishermen out on the water. We've all, we've all seen the Googans, everyone follows, whatever that Instagram account was that Nate mentioned, um, the qualified captain, that's it. And we, we've all kind of seen those guys out there. And I would love for more people to be better informed, better educated when they get out on the water. And I feel like for all the, the video and YouTube channels and everything that are out there, Man, when you hold Saul Strong up next to them, they're doing a pretty dang good job on it. So, uh, I, anyway, I kind of hated that they apologized. Again, not knocking Saul Strong. I just kind of hated that they felt like they had to apologize in the pushback, and they're turning it into a positive thing. But um, I read this this cool. Uh, it was actually on Twitter. It was a thing about pluralistic in ignorance. And I'd encourage you to go look it up. If you find me on Twitter, I retweeted it and I don't tweet much, so it's easy to find. But it's this idea, it's the idea behind the emperor's new clothes is that it's that group think we all have individual ideas that we believe and we should kind of speak our own minds about the things that we think. But a lot of times we're fearful of the repercussions and there's a mob that is formed in group think and that mob gives the perception that everyone shares the same value or same idea. And then it, kind of for lack of a better term kind of messes up it kind of overruns the individualistic thinking that we normally should have so critical thinking really suffers in that in that kind of dynamic and this this is not a new phenomenon it's been going around for a long time we've seen it unfold in a lot of stuff but while I'm making friends and influencing people I'm going to dip my toes in just ever so briefly to the Senate bill 2508 because a billion people have sent me petitions to sign on that. A billion people have asked me about it. And here's what I'm going to tell you about it. I just don't know that much about it um, to where I feel qualified to talk about it as an expert. 
Um, and I think that's a fair place to say, I don't think it's the worst bill I've ever seen. I don't think it's the best bill I've ever seen. I think it's an appropriations bill. I think if you hear uh, a certain group of stakeholders, they will tell you the sky is falling with this bill. And I think if you look, listen to the Senate, the house, they will tell you they have great respect for the people that put this bill together and how the bill is unfolding. And it's an appropriations bill. It has to do as near as I can tell, it looks like it gets down to, do you want federal control of our water? Do you want state control of our water? And when I say our water, I'm talking about Lake Okeechobee and the, and the water management district South of the lake. Um, I tend, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer there. I tend to be more of a state control guy than a federal control guy because I'm a state guy. Uh, but I, I think there's a valid opinion on the other side of that, or, or is there such a thing as a valid or invalid opinion? I guess everybody's entitled to opinions. Anyway, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think uh, there were some concerns about Everglades restoration language in there, but those seem to have been cleared up with an amendment that Senator Albritton offered. So, um, I, I appreciate everyone reaching out about SB 2508 and maybe after session, we can get somebody on here to talk about it in better detail and uh, add, add a little more color and we can grill them with some questions. But for right now, um, I don't think it's the best bill I've ever seen. I don't think it's the worst bill I've ever seen, but I do think this, I think um, something we've always been cautious about is being respectful of public trust entities and water is absolutely a public trust entity. Uh, just because I want water to do a certain thing doesn't mean I get all say in that and vice versa. So, um, we don't get to take turns as to who picks what the water does. I think, I think if you're governing water, man, it gets, it gets really, uh, dicey in there as far as making, uh, allegiances or alliances to one side or the other and politicizing that. And man, it, it sure does start to feel a little bit like water wars when you, when you get into kind of the headiness of it or the heaviness of it. Um, Land conservation wise, the bill looks like it's really good. It's it fully funds rural and family lands program. So again, I'm not going to belabor this point. I'm not going to hit you over the head with it or anything else, but I think there's a little bit of pluralistic and ignorance creeping into this discussion because we're not allowed to talk about it and ask, ask regular questions and kind of, we, we all see, see one side or the other and we kind of jump to those edges and in reality, there's a lot of nuance in a lot of things that we discuss and a lot of things we talk about. So um, I'd encourage everybody, I posted in our private group, the summary from the house. Um, so they, they do, for lack of a better term, a staffer gets assigned to analyze a bill after it passes a committee or passes a vote. Um, and, and for the record, this bill has now passed two committees in the house combined vote 159 to two or something like that. So pretty bipartisan in the way it is passing through, through these votes. But um, I would encourage everybody to go to uh, you can, you can just Google Florida SB 2508 and you can read the analysis right there, or I can, I can maybe post the link in the show notes if you want to dig into it again, not saying I'm for it, not saying I'm against it, just saying we need to probably pump the brakes on some of the divisive rhetoric that we throw out there all the time and maybe check our pluralistic in ignorance at the door a little bit on some of this stuff. Um, if you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk about it, but be, be absolutely certain to ask plenty of questions about it. I think that's what we are responsible to do as citizens of a democracy and as a, a constituency. All right, now that I've got myself in trouble on all that. If you're still listening, Lake Apopka. Um, I'm recording this late on Tuesday night and the Lake Apopka management plan was revised and came out again this afternoon. So 
uh, I'm going off memory. I don't have the plan in front of me because I've got a bunch of notes about the commission meeting up in front of me. But the original plan that came out was 8,020 acres to be treated. Um, we have met with FWC extensively on this. We've called, we've pushed back, we've sent emails, yada, yada, yada. I know tons of you guys have, have done your, your lift on that. Um, but I spent some time on Apopka with uh, some invasive plant management folks on Friday. Uh, a lot of time out there looking at hydrilla, looking at the habitat, looking at the lake. Um, I will say they were very receptive and very sympathetic to the amount of birds on that lake. Um, it was, it was an impressive showing and, you know, we're not at peak season right now. So, uh, the, the plan went from, so we, what we asked was, uh, IPM FWC offered to not treat the North polygon, which was about a thousand acres. And, um, that was a super magnanimous, uh, gesture from them. We, we appreciated that. But what I explained, because these are not hunting and fishing people, these are these are uh, habitat biologists um, in a different division. What I explained to them is when we talk about hunting, um, by losing that south lot of hydrilla, even though it is close to houses, it's still where hunters were hunting down there was a mile, mile and a half out into the lake. I mean, it was significantly away from shore. Um, but by losing that habitat down there, that hydrilla down there, um, it constrains hunters even further. And if you look at the lakes in the state, if you look at our big lakes that we've traditionally hunted, Kissimmee or Istapoga or, uh, to well, Toho is a little bit of aberration, but if you look at Kissimmee or Istapoga or Okeechobee, none of them really have SAV on them anymore. Sub submerged aquatic vegetation, the stuff that ducks like to eat. So where we used to have all these lakes we could hunt, now we have really one big lake because the popka I think is the fourth or fifth biggest lake in the state. Um, so now we've, we're down to kind of one lake that we can hunt that holds a bunch of ducks. So really for me, even though I've been privileged this year to, to be able to spend a lot of time on private land, my heart is still on the public land. And, and I've talked about this before, you know, even on, on other podcasts recently, if we don't have public land access, we don't have a new stream of hunters coming into the sport it's not good for anybody. It's not good for conservation funding. It's not good for private land hunt operations. It's not good for guides. It's not good for anybody if we don't have public land access. And Apopka is arguably the best public land non-quota lake the past two seasons in Florida. Now, that can very easily change. Um, you know, if if water levels changed on Kissimmee or water levels changed on Okeechobee or we got growth, hydrilla came back on one of those lakes, could very quickly change and it, you know how duck hunting is it's very fluid and birds move around and habitat habitat is dynamic uh i, I had some people from fwc teach me that years ago even though that sounds kind of remedial um, we all have this picture i want i want Kissimmee to look like it did in 2003 or whatever it was it's never going to look like that again specifically because a that was 18 years ago but all the factors that are contributors or inputs to it have changed and so it can have good years and bad years but it's not a static system. I, we can't just make it look like it did in 2003 and it looks like that forever and ever and ever every season. There's going to be years where it ebbs and flows. So um, we kind of have to keep that in mind when we discuss an entity like Apopka too because it's going to have years where it ebbs and flows. And obviously Apopka was bad for most of our life. I mean, it was like a super fun site or something. So here we are. Um, we, we met with FWC. They actually called me Sunday morning. We had a, we had another meeting about this, uh, discussing some changes to the plan. So they gave up the thousand acres, uh, treatment at the North end. 
On the south end, what we talked about was since they were no longer treating that thousand acres, could they switch the treatment? And they had a 5,000 acre polygon down there that they were going to do what's called a systemic treatment on. And a systemic treatment is basically kill the plant. So, so basically the plant goes all the way back to the, it's not there anymore, dies. Um, a contact treatment, the other type of treatment we're talking about out there is they refer to it as mowing the grass. It doesn't kill the plant. It kind of knocks it back a little bit, but as you go into the hot growing season, the plant will grow right back. Um, there is some nuance to this conversation because when you get into uh, the the systemic treatment, you can create resistance in a plant. So if you do a systemic treatment and you don't kill the plant, it, it you run the danger of it of it having a resistance to that treatment in the future. And so now you've created you know a Travis's term a mutant strain of hydrilla out there that now we can't be back with regular herbicides and it becomes even more cumbersome to manage. Um, so I understand their, their kind of reasoning for that. The other thing is I've heard some folks say, well, the only people using that lake are fishermen or hunters. Like, like no one uses that lake except fishermen or hunters. And I tend to agree with that based off what I know. But again, we're public trust people. We're public trust conservationists. We talk about public trust all the time. So I know that the agency was asked to treat the hydrilla by both friends of Lake Apopka and, uh, Orange County Audubon Society, which I, I thought was a little bizarre, but uh, Audubon's approach was they would rather see uh, replantings of native grasses out there than hydrilla invasive plant out there everywhere. Now, you and I both know that they're not going to go out and replant, you know, 8,000 acres of eelgrass because A, that would cost a bajillion dollars and B, getting eelgrass to grow and a replanting is not the easiest thing in the world. But there are a lot of patches of it coming back out there. Uh, the district has done replantings of Spatterdock out there in some places. So the district was another stakeholder in this. They asked for some treatments to be done for replanting areas. Anyway, a lot of moving parts to this. Uh, the other the other side of it is, and I'm going to make a really just glance off of our RHA discussion, our restricted hunting area discussion last summer and, and uh, prior to that. Um, part of the deal with the RHAs was, we want to create a permit. The agency wanted to create a permitting process so a municipality could apply for a permit. Well, if FWC decided not to treat this lake, to not treat Apopka, the water management district or the municipality could apply for a permit and the agency by rulemaking authority is required to grant them that permit. And then they can go hire uh, contractors to treat the lake however they want to treat it. And the agency would have very little governance oversight or anything else. So we want FWC, we want the public trust agency managing this lake. And even though if you ask Travis, the duck hunter, I would tell you, man, I don't want you to treat anything out there. Like go cut me a trail or through two through this for some bass guys to get around. Um, there's some complications with that when you get into budget, uh, wherein the contact treatments actually cost more than the systemic treatments, but they do contact treatments because we ask them to, because we want hydrilla out there because it functions as the primary SAV for ducks in Florida. So really complicated um, discussion, you know, it was, it, it was a little bit of, well, what if we give you the North side and and not the South side? And I'm paraphrasing. They didn't say that or anything else. So it's just kind of what it, it felt like a little bit in some of these conversations. And um, you know, I, I was kind of dug in, we've got to have something on that South end because there's so many ducks down there and it spreads hunters out. It gives them more opportunity, gives more access. I mean, think about the guy, Think about the guy with the little boat puts in on the south end. He's a lot closer to where he wants to go versus running across a 30,000 acre lake. 
you got a north wind. That's a very difficult run. So, um, you know, we want everyone to have opportunity. We want everyone to have access to to uh, be able to hunt in as many places as possible. And um, Apopka is what kind of bubbled to the forefront this week. But that's that was really some of my thinking on it, some of my pushback on it. So the agency came back with this plan. Um, they went from a total treatment of 8,020 acres to a treatment of 6,600 acres. And then of the 6,600 acres they're treating, uh, 2,000 of that will be a contact treatment. So it'll be essentially mowing the grass. So we'll see hydrilla grow back in those areas. Um, really, uh, you know, everyone asked me, like, do you feel like that's a win? I was like, no, I don't feel like anything's a win when you're trying to compromise. Like, this is <laughs> this is how we should look at the, the, the world. It's not necessarily do I want to beat them. It's I want to work with them and figure out a better solution for, for everyone here. So hopefully... Um, the other outcomes we'll see is that this will shine a light on Apopka and we will write a lake management plan for it like we have for Toho and Okeechobee and Kissimmee and the Harris chain and, you know, various, uh, did I say Okeechobee? I think we have four or five. Oh, Istapogo's got its own lake management plan. So hopefully we'll see that come out of this. But this gets us through, you know, the March treatment window. That's the other thing is, IPM invasive plant management has to treat uh, in the next month or so before the growing season gets going fast, or you're, you're talking about another exercise of futility. So we'll see that happen. Um, a systemic treatment, I will tell you is these treatments are going to be done by helicopter. A systemic treatment is, uh, is done usually in waves. Like it, it, you don't just treat it once and forget it. Like you have to go back out there and treat it again and again and again. Um, the other thing that I'll kind of put out there, and this is a little bit of a weird deal because I'm supportive of new methods. Like, like our good friend, Mike Elfenbein is working on the aquaculture project, which didn't have that in my notes, but I've been down there a couple times in the last couple of weeks. And it's so exciting to see them putting, they put barges in the water and they're out there. They've got their harvester in the water. I think I saw that this past week and um, they got this giant tank out there on a barge and, uh, we went up to, out to the to the ranch where they're going to be spreading the, uh, what do they call it, amendment out on the pasture and talked with Nick and Nick Zabo of, of agriculture about how they're going to do that. And man, it's just fascinating and it's exciting to see that kind of stuff out there. Um, but it's not there yet for use across the state. I mean, it may be there yet. We just don't have the data yet that, that this pilot is supposed to pr- provide. So I go back to the herbicide conversation a little bit on a lake like Apopka this is a situation wherein I kind of wish we had more money to spray and people are going to hear that and say, Oh my God, he's pro spraying. You guys, it's not binary. This is, this is pluralistic ignorance. It's not binary. You don't have to be one or the other. You can recognize that there are applications for different tools and we can use them all and, and that there are good methodologies to them. But if there was more money in the spray budget, um, we probably could get more hydrilla left on that lake because then the agency would be able to go cut trails um, using a contact treatment to like some of the homeowners and cut like two or three trails out through the hydrilla patch into the lake. And uh, it would look a little different. It would look a little better for us. But um, I, I recognize the difficulty kind of in making those decisions, making that those management decisions. And uh, you, you're juggling science, you're juggling uh, different stakeholder groups, you're juggling budget. And uh, I, I definitely want to thank all the, the biologists that work so hard on this. And specifically, I want to, I want to say, I really appreciate the IPM folks um, in the 11th hour kind of, kind of say, saying, okay, 
<laughs> we're not the hunting people, but we understand what the hunting people are saying. And um, we're going to work with you guys and, and see if we can come up with a compromise solution here, which is, which is what I think we have. So um, I'll, I'll say that I'm thrilled about it. Obviously, like I said earlier, I'm a duck hunter. I'm never thrilled about anything where hydrilla goes away, but I recognize uh, how public trust works and, and the world that we kind of live in. So um, last thing I want to talk about is the FWC commission meeting. Those start, if you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, they start today. Uh, that'd be March 2nd and 3rd in Tampa. Uh, I'll be driving over to that. Uh, some pretty cool stuff on the docket um, the only hunting thing on the docket is actually just the approval of the hunting package, which um, generally we'll go up there and, and in our three minutes say we appreciate staff's work on this, blah, 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 because it's all at this point, it's all been negotiated out and done. You've all taken a 7,000 question survey at some point in the year where you discuss all the hunting rules and regulation changes. And um, but that's on the docket. That'll get that'll get approved with flying colors. No one will really push back on that. Um, but these are the things that are kind of interesting. I, I say that like, that's not interesting to me. It is. Um, but we already had that discussion, you know, ad nauseum over the past year. Uh, the things that I'm looking forward to is the agency is hosting a panel on, on Wednesday morning on landscape conservation efforts, which, uh, really, if you, if you want to read between the lines is the wildlife corridor. So I went to a really cool event for the Florida wildlife corridor last week where I got to see a movie that they've done, um, I can't remember the name of the movie now because they usually give them cool names, but this one was Saving the Florida Wildlife Corridor, maybe. It was a little more um, expository in its name or exp explanatory in its name. But um, we will see Jim Strickland will be there kind of re representing ranchers. Jason Lawrence will be there. Uh, he's the executive director of the Wildlife Corridor, I think. Um, so it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting. Uh, we'll have some people there, I think, from uh, maybe the Nature Conservancy. There's another... There's another land trust kind of group there. And, um, it'll be kind of interesting to see that and talk to some of those folks. Cause that's, that's one of the other advantages to going to these commission meetings. You can get people off to the side and have conversations in the hallway and grab lunch and everything else. But I'm excited to see the agency kind of giving that, um, a center stage spotlight. Obviously the agency has always been involved in land conservation, but, um, I haven't seen it discussed at a, at a commission meeting in all maybe ever. I think it's mentioned a time or two, but off the top of my head, I don't have any memory of it being discussed at a commission meeting in any kind of detail. So really looking forward to that. Um, that's something we hold near and dear to our heart, very passionate about and appreciate. So happy to see that coming. Um, another thing we're going to see come up is the federal bills being monitored. Um, there's, a, I think it's 75 or 76 pieces of active legislation that uh, FWC is monitoring that are in front of the 117th Congress. Um, reauthorization of sport fish restoration. Uh, that's the dollars that go to pay for boat ramp access and all the programs that we, we've talked about on the podcast before for uh, artificial reefs program, get sport fish restoration dollars and catch a Florida memory and the trophy catch. And so sport fish restoration is a big deal. In 2022, Florida got $14 million from basically fishing license uh, uh, excise taxes that were sent back to the state. So it's a big deal. That's a, that's a, obviously a bill that we want them paying very close attention to. Um, I, there's another bill out there. I cannot remember the name of it, but it has something to do with, uh, spending on, on, uh, red snapper data. Um, hopefully that gets funded and we can continue to monitor that. Um, 
I'm trying to think if there was anything else that stuck out in my mind. Nothing I can remember. This is the, I'm getting to the exciting one, you guys. There's two exciting ones. Uh, then on Thursday morning, there is Goliath Grouper uh, will be on there. And everyone last year kept saying, and this was in October, it was brought up. And everyone kept saying $500 is ridiculous for Goliath Grouper tag. Guess what? Guess what they're going to talk about? is making, hold on, I've got the notes right here. Establish a lottery application fee of $10 and a permit fee for $150 for residents and $500 for non-residents if awarded. Boom. I kept saying over and over again, like the only pushback they got back on that tag fee was, um, I, I spoke, I didn't speak against it, but I spoke in asking if we could reduce it. Um, I, I want to say CCA Florida spoke asking if we could reduce the tag fee. Um, so there you go. It's, it's now down to $150. So hopefully we'll see a lot more people applying for that. Um, it's going to be 200 permits awarded around the state. It is going to be $500 for non-residents. I really like seeing that kind of model created as well. Um, that's similar to what we do with alligators. Like we charge a whole lot for non-residents. If you're going to come here and use our resource, I'd like for you to, to, to pay to use it. So um, excited about that. I, I hopefully we'll see that pass. Hopefully we won't see a lot of pushback on it because they've tr really tried to clean that up, um, due to stakeholder engagement over, over the, the past year or so. The last one that I think is probably the most fascinating thing on the agenda for me is the, uh, changes to redfish management. Um, so staff is presenting a, uh, they did all those redfish workshops back in the fall. And out of that, they kind of identified that some folks had some some areas of concern for management of redfish as a species. And um, what they've done is they've identified really a new kind of mo model me methodology for determining redfish management regulation approach. Um, and so they've one one thing there, one thing, six things they did. Generally, redfish are managed on escapement, which is the number of fish that grow out of the slot. So they reach breeder size. They are going to live at that point because they're not going into someone's ice chest because they grew out of the slot. Um, they have added five more kind of uh, ticklers. I don't, I don't know the right term for it, but data points for determining uh, uh, management decisions. Relative abundance. Uh, if you went way back to like the second interview we ever did in our conversation series, we had an FWRI biologist on and he talked about the indices of relative abundance and how those worked. Um, I would encourage you to go back and find that and listen to it. Uh, habitat, uh, what type of habitat they have, mangroves, uh, uh, why am I forgetting what it's called? Seagrass. Um, and then they go, they have some of those indices already created for habitat existence in, in um, I'll say health for lack of a better term to describe it. But um, they're, they're going to determine, you know, is the habitat good in different areas? Harmful algal blooms. So red tide, brown tide, blue green algae and or its effects on redfish and or should they look at doing something emergency with the fishery based off those harmful algal blooms? Fishing effort, this is basically the uh, number of hours, days, whatever, put into catching a redfish. We do something similar like that on bass management, bass fishery management. And then stakeholder feedback, which has always been a thing. FWC is a stakeholder-driven agency. The other change that we're going to see made is smaller scale regional management. Um, I think they're going from three regions to nine regions. Um, and some of those are like 
pretty tiny. I, th- I want to say like Charlotte Harbor proper is, is one, one region. Um, so it, it, I'm really interested to see this unfold and I'm interested in it for, um, a couple of reasons. One, I like stuff that disrupts. I like stuff that's outside the box thinking. I think this is, um, I, I wonder aloud if one of, one of the problems we've always had with escapement rate, and this is the, this is the pushback that comes from like the guides industry on escapement is we're looking at the rear view mirror. We're not looking ahead. And I think some of these habitat goals provide an interesting window into that. But I think no matter what, um, what, what was the old Mitch Hedberg joke? I'd love to see a picture of me when I'm, when I'm, what was it? Here's a picture of me when I'm younger. I would love to see a picture of me when I'm older. That would be a trick because in every picture you were younger than when you are now because you took the picture. So I think no matter how up to date we can get on this, it's, it's going to get hard. It's still difficult somewhat to forecast, but I definitely think some of these metrics do a better job um, of maybe taking that into account or looking at it. Uh, they'll look at, at in relative abundance. You look at juvenile fish, you look at recruitment age, you look at, I'm, I'm making that up a little bit. I'm going back off memory, but um, it, it'll be fascinating to kind of see that unfold. And then if you have, let's say a piney point type situation in Tampa Bay, um, that's a smaller scale region. So that doesn't necessarily trigger a closure for the entirety of the West coast of Florida. Maybe there's a regional closure from point A to point B and inside that you, you have a, a shutdown, but you don't outside that. So I'm excited about this. I'm encouraged by this. I also think, um, this this may be an unintended consequence of the agency, but I want to see this work because I want to ask some of these same questions about why don't we manage waterfowl in this way and use some of these ticklers to kind of determine our duck hunting and our where we're going to allow duck hunting and everything else. I, I can see some parallels drawn there. We don't look at habitat really. I mean, we do look at habitat. Obviously, our, our waterfowl biologists are top notch, but as I've said before, there's not a ton of them out there. So um, I'd, I'd like to see maybe some of these drawn over into the hunting world and maybe some uh, creative disruptive management approaches taken on that side as well. Obviously, it's not a one-to-one. You can't just go fisheries to hunting, but still interesting to see this stuff. Um, I really appreciate our saltwater fisheries division. They are top-notch, and I know they've worked so hard on this. I know they have worked so hard on this, and um, I'm really proud to kind of see this roll out. Like I said, got questions about it, but more of their curiosity questions than anything else. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. Anytime you see something new and kind of uh, disruptive and different and creative, um, I applaud the agency for being kind of agile and looking at it that way and and taking that approach. So that is pretty much everything. And then Thursday, there will be items not on the agenda. Public comment on items not on the agenda will be at the end of the day Thursday. Um, I don't know if that'll be before lunch or after lunch. It looks to me like it's going to line up right around lunch. But um, that will probably involve some comments. We'll probably hear some guys comment about Lake Apopka. Um, may hear some stuff about hunter harassment issues. Just not sure which way all that's going to go right now. But um, always, always a good time to tune in. You can watch on the Florida channel if you're interested in the FWC commission meeting. Um, it's two days. You can put it on the background, listen to it, tune in and out. There's a, I think you're going to see the reptile uh, bill get finalized, the reptile rule get finalized, and they've made some concessions in there, non-native wildlife. And I think they've made, as someone without a dog in that fight, I feel like they made some really good concessions. I feel like the agency really finally arrived at a good place with stakeholders on that. Um, 
you could tell they worked so hard and diligently. And again, that's the, that's the habitat species conservation team. Um, same as that, that IPM is in, um, really impressed with how they worked with stakeholders to kind of, kind of reach a, a compromise, if you will. Like I said, everybody's not always happy, but sometimes um, that's what compromise means is, is you end up somewhere in the middle there. So uh, looking forward to that. Sorry if I bored you guys to tears. Um, I apologize for M and Nate not being here. They were all gung-ho to do a show. And I was like, do you guys really want to talk about these things? And they both laughed at me. So thank you guys always for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will be back next week. And hope you all have a great week. And stay woke. Go, go, go.